0: The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has invented a new category of Oscar. This year at the award ceremony, they'll give a statuette to Best Popular Movie. That's right. Fearing that the award show is sinking into stultifying irrelevance and alienating political diatribes, the Academy will try to entice viewers back to the show by honoring movies that people have actually seen instead of the unwatchable trash they usually celebrate. In light of the new award for popular films, it seems the Academy might want to add a couple of other categories as well. For instance, they might give an award to best intersectional crap fest that no one saw, but that proves our virtue. So they can deliver a statuette to the sequel to Moonlight, Moonlight 2, this time the gay black man is crippled. They might also have an award for best attempt to normalize sexual deviancy. The first statuette would go to the musical biopic Never Say Neverland, in which convicted pedophile Victor Salva directs Kevin Spacey, playing Michael Jackson, playing Roman Polanski, directing Charlie Sheen, playing Harvey Weinstein, hiring Victor Salva to direct Kevin Spacey as Michael Jackson. Another relevant Oscar category might be best performance by a white man that was overlooked in order to give an award to a black man who didn't actually deserve it. This award could be given in honor of Will Smith to celebrate his performance in Concussion after someone sees Concussion (laughs) and finds out whether his performance was any good or not, and then celebrates it anyway, just to stop his wife's complaining about make-believe racism. The Academy might also give an award for best actress in a performance as a woman who had no moral agency when she decided to sleep with a sleazy producer to get the part that made her career. All in all, I think we can look forward to the next Oscar ceremony as a moving tribute to an art form people used to give a damn about. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winning, also singing, hunky dunky Dipsy, topsy, a zing. it's a wonderful day hooray, hooray. it makes me want, want to sing, to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. all right we come here today at the brink the very brink of the clavenless weekend. So, like I said yesterday, suck all the clavin goodness you can get out of this show because it's going to have to last you like a camel. It's a camel crossing the desert. It's going to have to last you through the days, the hard days to come. Hey, if you missed yesterday's show and my interview with uh, the god-king of the Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring, about the internet, really go back and watch it. I, I thought that was just a great interview. You know, one of the things, I, I give Jeremy such if you think I give Knowles a hard time, I give Jeremy such a hard time that I, I have to pause Sometimes, and remember, you know, a lot of, a lot, a lot of conservative content on the, the internet, Jeremy's behind it, PragerU, some of Bill Whittle's stuff, some of my stuff, you know, just so much stuff that he just, not, you know, he never says said anything and all we do is pound on him. And he's actually been really one of the hidden, hidden hands behind the conservative movement, especially online. Ezra Ezra Levant uh, has been in England visiting Tommy Robinson, the activist, the anti-Muslim activist who just got out of prison. He will be on the show later on and will stay on and let you watch that. But you should subscribe just out of guilt at this point. (laughs) You know, it only costs 100 bucks for the whole year and you can be in the mailbag. You get the leftist tears tumbler. What's not to like? You know, I am old enough to remember seeing Jaws in the theater. When Jaws opened, I went and saw it in the theater. And the experience of seeing Jaws was such that when you walked out, it was absolutely true, you were shocked that you weren't on the water. When you walked outside, and you, I was—I think I was in San Francisco—I walked outside and I thought, "Oh yeah, I'm not—I'm in on land. Of course I am." It was such an immersive film. And now, if you want to find out the incredible story—and it really is an incredible story—the behind the making of Jaws, Wondery, the podcast people have a new podcast called Inside Jaws. It takes you on an immersive journey through the making of 1975's pulse-pounding hit film, and first ever. Summer Blockbuster. I did not know that it was the first ever. You'll follow one of the most prolific filmmakers in history, Steven Spielberg, from the making of his first millimeter Western as a young Boy Scout to the rocky production and groundbreaking release of a movie that changed the film industry forever. This is a tale of guts and glory. You don't want to miss it. You can hear the first two episodes right now by subscribing to Inside Jaws on Apple Podcasts or heading to wondery.fm slash Inside Jaws, Or you can listen to the first four episodes ad-free by signing up up for Wondery Plus at Wondery.com slash plus. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-Y.com slash P-L-U-S. Go subscribe to Inside Jaws today. It's a great story. It really is. Okay. So I, a lot of times when I give speeches, I talk about the fact that The conservatives don't understand the arts, and I talk about the fact that we believe in facts, and that makes us very suspicious of the imagination, and because of that, we don't participate in the arts. We get stuck with, you know, pointing at charts and showing the numbers and all that stuff, while the left makes these brilliant propaganda films. Uh, you know, that, that we pay, and we pay them to be propagandized. We pay them to turn James Bond into a pro-socialist. James Bond spent his whole life fighting the communists and now suddenly in, in the later movies he becomes pro-socialist because they're selling this propaganda. Avatar, one of the most po- popular, successful films of all time, pure left-wing propaganda. They make us pay to see their point of view. They're really good at it. But their problem, their problem is they don't, we don't understand, we don't understand that, conservative culture doesn't look like conservative life. I always talk about the Sopranos, what a conservative show it is, but it doesn't look like conservative life. It's about crime, it's got nudity, it's got cursing, but it's a conservative show. So we don't understand that conservative uh, culture doesn't look like conservative life. The left has the opposite problem. They don't understand that life doesn't look like left-wing culture. They think the world is taking place in their imagination and they have actually have a theory that fictions are what govern the world and if you can just get control of the narrative, you will change reality. They really do have this theory and they write about it all the time. They don't understand that reality remains exactly the same, no matter what you say about it. And you can control people's minds with a narrative, but ultimately reality comes and bites you back on the backside. And you know, the, the funny thing about this is I think a lot of us on the right don't understand how traumatized the left is. And they're not just traumatized by the defeat of Hillary Clinton, though they are traumatized by that because in their imagination she was already queen. She was already the queen of of the country. And they didn't didn't even know that we don't have a queen. I mean, they thought, you know, she was just going to fill that role. But they are traumatized by the fact that they created Barack Obama in their imagination as a savior. They sold her. They sold him to us as a savior. They told us that this is it. If you don't like this man, the only possible reason could be must be because you're racist. That's the only possible reason. And he failed. He failed. He did a bad job with the economy. He did a bad job with the Middle East. He did a bad job all around the world. The only thing he did was save us from global warming, with a treaty that means absolutely nothing. I mean, that that was that was Obama. He did things in his imagination, like, oh yes, now we're saved from global warming. The oceans will not will recede and won't take over, you know, Palm Springs. You know, it was all imagination, and they are being traumatized by the fact that reality hasn't changed. Reality. Stick, stuck to the gods of the copybook heading. It stuck to the old rules, no matter what Obama did, and Obama failed. He was a failed president. It was a failed presidency. Mm-hmm. The only thing that saved him from absolute failure was the economic crash, which should have been a, had a great big recovery and have a little recovery because of Obama, but at least it was a recovery. So that saved him from being an utter failure. But he was. All his policies failed. And now they're all gone. They're all disappeared. I remember, I remember a dinner. I don't think I've ever told this story. Yet. I remember a dinner with Andrew Breitbart. He invited some of his good friends together. And we were all laughing because we were all middle-aged white men. And we were all sitting around going, who says conservatives are all middle-aged white men? Oh, it's us. So Yeah, it's, it's true. And Bill Whittle was there. John Nolte, who's now at Breitbart. And, it's, and I think Obama had just been elected. And we we're all sort of discussing what to do next. And a lot of big, big names were at the table. And I, I think I was serving drinks. I was I think I was the waiter. Um, but but Bill Whittle, who is an incredibly eloquent guy who can go off for 20 minutes without ever saying, uh, you know, and just these full, complete, perfectly phrased sentences. He went off on a rant. That must have gone on seriously 20 minutes where he just said, this is the end of the left. Obama's election is the end of the left because they've made him a savior and he's going to fail. And when he fails, they're going to have to admit that all their programs failed and all their saviors were bad and all their, and he went on and on. And it's just going to, goes on and on. And then when he finished, there was a long silence. And John Nolte, who is just an honest, straightforward, kind of working class guy, Nolte goes, I don't know. I, I think they'll just blame us. And that's what's happened, you know. But Bill was right. Their savior failed, but they're just blaming us. They're blaming reality for being reality, and they're blaming Donald Trump for representing that reality. He's kind of the big monster reality that has come. And so everything he says, everything he says... They say the opposite. And and they just and they're creating this world of imagination. The the um, the elections yesterday, the primaries and all this, they had a close run. They almost got this seat in Ohio that they wanted desperately, they lost it, and they've been just touting this thing that it was a moral victory. So so this is this is how much in their imagination. The, the GOP strikes back with an ad, it's a great ad, just showing but but listen. It's not just the ad, but listen to the news people trying to sell this to us as a victory and then finally deflating and realizing, nah.
1: Close in Ohio 12, but no cigar, at least not yet. This is a moral victory for the Democrats.
2: The fact that they're this close is a moral victory for the Democrats. You want a real victory.
1: We got some mojo, all right? So I don't know if it's a moral victory or whatever. Moral victory. Moral victory. Moral
2: victory. Moral victory does not get you an office in Washington.
1: Moral victory isn't going to cast a vote here in Washington. Come
2: November, you need more than moral victories. You're going to need to get better than close in some of these races, correct?
1: You said this morning there are no silver medals in politics. That's it, second place gets you oblivion, not a a silver medal. Moral
0: victories do not a house majority make. They've got to get across the finish line in these districts in November.
2: Either winning seats or you're not. A win is a win.
0: A win's a win. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Vin Diesel, the man. <laughs> this is a great ad. But they're living in their imagination, and they're furious at reality for not coming into line with their imagination. And they're furious at Trump for representing that reality. So whatever he says, they say the opposite. He had a hilarious line the other day, Trump, at one of his rallies uh, when he talked about how he's going to get the wall built. There's cut 12. You know, I just figured out how to do the wall. I'll say I don't want to build the wall, and they'll insist on building it. I just figured that out right now. <laughs> All he has to do is say I hate the wall. The Democrats will go and hand build the wall. They will go. Each Democrat on, in America will take a brick and carry it down to the border and hand build a wall. And everything he does, and it's what makes them so absurd. It's what makes them so ridiculous. He he just they just reinstated the sanctions on Iran that Obama stupidly removed for his stupid deal that was not going to do anything to stop them from building nuclear weapons, but did prop up a hellacious regime. So Trump reimposes the sanctions. The New York Times, a former newspaper, runs a story uh, that is just hilarious about how poor Mohammed is going to suffer. He's going to suffer from these sanctions, you know, that, that are coming down on him. Just whatever Trump does. So now today, yesterday, I guess, He put new sanctions, the administration put new sanctions on the Russians because remember they poisoned that uh, former spy in Britain and in support of them, they put new uh, sanctions on the Russians. But of course, we can't admit to that because that shows that Trump has actually been much harder on the Russians than the last two administrations. And that's that isn't doesn't jibe with the narrative that's in their imagination. In their imagination, Trump's a Russian spy. In their imagination, Trump and Putin are, you know, sitting behind, they're like they're like Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. They're in the Oval Office doing it, and they're just selling the country to the Russians. But in fact, he's been very tough. So the New York Times, a former newspaper, reports it this way. An administration official described the list of affected items that would be sanctioned as enormously elaborate, but outside, experts said the actual amount of exports involved is fairly small because the Obama administration already banned exports on, to Russia that could have military purposes. He hasn't even announced what exports are being banned yet. They haven't even announced it, but it's not going to be as good as Obama's. It is not going to be, because in their imagination, Obama was tough on Russia. In their imagination, Obama was the savior. If you think I'm kidding, i got to show you this. You know Vox? Vox is this very, very left wing website and ProPublica, which won the Pulitzer Prize, touts itself as an investigative website, but it was formed by Democrats. It's pro Democrat. It's pro left. So Trump is always hitting against MS-13, right? The gangs that have come up. The the gangs were formed. There was a a revolution uh, in the 70s, I guess it was, uh, in Central America. And all these guys from Central America, from El Salvador, the Honduras, Honduras, other Central American countries, came up to America as illegal immigrants. And when they were here, they started to form this vicious gang, MS-13. So Vox and ProPublica makes a video saying, well, it's our fault. It's it's not a Central American thing. They were formed here, which is true. The gang was formed here, but it's Central American gangs and they're all illegal immigrants. (laughs) so they start telling us, and these are, this is truly, the FBI says this is the most brutal gang in America. These are guys, they love their machetes, they want to cut children to pieces, they do all this horrible, horrible stuff. I here, so help me, I am not making this up. This looks like something that Jay Hay did in the back room, you know, but this is, this is ProPublica and Vox telling us, you know, Trump is demonizing these guys, but they're not that bad. I've been reporting on Long Island for a year, and the MS-13 that I'm seeing on the ground there has almost nothing in common with the MS-13 as portrayed by the government.
1: For one, the Trump administration presents MS-13 as a drug cartel.
0: the drug smugglers and the vile criminal cartels like MS-13.
1: But that's not really the case. MS-13 is not really
0: involved with the international drug trade. The MS-13 members that I've been following are working after-school jobs, they're living with their parents, they get around Long Island on bicycles because they can't afford cars. Um, It's not the kind of gang that you really get any money from. MS-13 isn't a highly
1: organized criminal group. It doesn't have a central leader or global ambitions. But it's been classified as a transnational criminal organization. The Obama-era Treasury Department put the group on a list of sanctioned organizations with groups like the Mexican Zetas and the Japanese Yakuza, but... The organization doesn't have that kind of sophistication to do, to really play with the major player.
0: These poor kids, these poor kids have to work two jobs to buy a machete. You know, you can't afford a machete unless you have two jobs. And, and when do they find time to go cut children to pieces? You know, when you have two jobs, it's tough. You got to wait till Saturday to cut, you know, the opposing uh, gang member to pieces. It's, it's sad. It's a sad, I mean, anything Trump says, Trump is reality and they are living in their imagination and they are so angry at reality and so angry at Trump that anything he said, you know, and, and this is, you wonder why show business hates Donald Trump because they're in the business of the imagination. They're in the business of the imagination where, you know, Alexandria, Google eyes, Cortez has policies that work. We can afford her policies because they all make sense in the world of the imagination. So they're thrilled. Rosie O'Donnell. I, I, un, unbelievable. I remember when, when I was when they first started having uh, uh rock videos on tv there was a station called vh1 i think it was called this may still be on and one of the vjs was rosie o'Donnell and i used to watch her while i was on the elliptical machine i would watch the rock videos as i was exercising and there would be there was this kind of black guy with uh, there was black guy with uh, glasses and, and i thought he was really charming and really had a lot of talent and i thought boy this rosie o'Donnell has no talent she is going nowhere we will never and of course the the guy the black guy ended up doing like frozen food commercials. And Rosie O'Donnell became a, a fairly major player. She is still a no talent, but she's outside. She's gathered the Broadway together because they know they no right winger wants to go see a Broadway play anymore. So they know they're not going to alienate anybody. And they're singing songs outside the White House to protest Donald Trump. They're going to do it until they leave. So here's her, her protest.
1: gonna keep coming back until he's out.
0: So first of all, Trump wasn't even there when they were doing this. But I think it's kind of like Joshua. If they sing, you know, climb every mountain loud enough, the White House will just crumble. You know, it's like, but it's all it's all imaginary. And Rosie O'Donnell is the perfect, perfect spokeswoman. They're giving they're having her on shows. They're having her on television shows. And they forget that she's a truther. She's nuts. The woman is out of her mind. She, she's the one who said, well, play, play it. Do we have that thing from The View? Yeah, this is uh, cut number eight.
1: But I do believe that it is the first time in history that fire has ever melted steel. I do believe that it defies physics for the World Trade Center Tower 7, Building Mm -hmm. 7, which collapsed in on itself. It is impossible for a building to fall the way it fell without explosives being involved. World Trade Center 7. World Trader 1 and 2 got hit by planes, 7, miraculously the first time in history, steel was melted by fire. It is physically impossible. And who do you think is responsible for that? I have no idea. But to say that we don't know that it imploded and it was an implosion and a demolition is beyond ignorant. Look at the films, get a physics expert here from Yale, from Harvard, pick the school. It defies reason.
0: It's, you know, Popular Mechanics did a whole article explaining why they, the World Trade Center collapsed exactly what it did. And it didn't melt the steel, although fire is made to use steel, to, used to make steel. But it didn't melt, it just weakened it so that the the uh, supports collapsed. Anyway, it all made perfect sense, of course. Of course, there was not what. what I always love the 9 11 conspiracy because I, I have no idea what the point of it is. But this is who she is. This is who she is. It's just pure ignorance and pure paranoia. She goes on. Chris Cuomo show on CNN, and even Chris Cuomo gives her a reality check. When you're getting a reality check from Chris Cuomo, you are no longer anywhere near reality. I mean, listen to this.
1: He's not only bad because he's a liar. He's bad because he doesn't know how to inspire people or evoke that emotion in them of, of what about truth his and of Knowing and. There, first of all, people are paid, Chris. You know that. People were paid since he went down on the escalator. He pays people to show up at right, those but rallies. But I don't that know that fact. that's. But I don't know that that's why he gets tens of thousands at the rallies. I think he ca- captures a but lot of emotion. He doesn't get for tens people. of thousands. When did he get tens of thousands at a the last rally? Ra- Tell me when. Well, oh, no, not at the at the Tampa. I think they only had nine thousand seats, and there were people outside. But at Rosie, I've seen them. He gets big groups of people who come out. He re- he gives themes that resonate, whether they're positive paid, or not, Chris? that's up to other people to decide. Maybe but some Chris, are. I don't are know. I can't paid. I don't have the facts that his crowds are bought But you off. Can I don't look have on, that. You can look at, well, you can look at all the requests for extras to come and cheer and with signs for him. You can find those tangible pieces of evidence.
0: <laughs> not only, not only are the Trump supporters paid, but they're actually modeled. A, out of the steel that was melted at the World Trade Center. They're completely phony. You know, because because they live in their imaginations, because they, they think that if they don't tell us stuff, if they lie, re- reality itself will change. I, I want to end this, this with just talking about what I think is the biggest news story or should be the biggest news story of the day, just for its pure sensationalism. The police on Friday raided a compound in New Mexico because they were looking for a missing kid and they had gotten... Uh, notes that this kid was in this compound, they raided this compound in, in New Mexico, found starving children who were being trained, these starving ch- children were being trained to commit school shootings. They were training, I mean, is that not a big story? Is that not a big story? Here is CBS's report when they filed the court documents on this. I'll get, just give you the first minute, but trust me, it continues this way for two and a half minutes. See if you can find the missing word in this story. And the missing word, when you find the missing word, you will know why the story is not being reported in a big way.
2: We're going to begin tonight with new revelations about a mysterious compound in northern New Mexico where nearly a dozen hungry children were found living in filthy conditions. Five adults face child abuse charges, and court documents today now show one of them is under investigation for training children to commit school shootings. More on this now from Omar Villafranca. Handcuffed and in a jumpsuit, Siraj Wahaj made his first court appearance this afternoon in New Mexico. Wahaj was charged with 11 counts of child abuse. But court documents show he may have been planning something more sinister. A foster parent of one of the children alerted investigators that Wahaj had trained the child in the use of an assault rifle in preparation for future school shootings. Prosecutors reveal the information to make the case he should not be given bail. Wahaj, another man, and three women were arrested when deputies raided the complex last week.
0: Find the missing word? Yeah, it's Islam. Islam, it's the way that it was an Islamist compound. And they, that's why they're burying it. It took them days to mention it. I mean, the, the, even when they do mention it, they mention it deep in the story. By the end of the story, you can deduce that it was an Islamist compound, but they just leave it out because if they don't tell the story, the reality won't exist. And that is the major flaw on the left. That is their problem on the left. Their problem is reality. All right. We're going to talk more about this, because when you want to see the wages of living in your imagination, you can look at Rotherham in England, where all those girls were raped while nobody wanted to admit that it was going on because they were afraid of being called racist. We're going to talk to Ezra Levant about what's happening with Tommy Robinson, who was trying to report on that story and was put in prison for it. But first, it is time for the Left Wing Dictionary. You know, we missed our Tuesday release of the Left Wing Dictionary. We had a little bit of technical difficulties we had to fix, but here is F is for Feminism. F. F is for feminism. Feminism is a movement to end the unfair treatment of women by having women complain about every little thing until you just can't stand them. Before feminism, women were forced to stay at home, shaping the souls of a new generation until their children rose up and called them blessed. They weren't allowed to do important stuff like running the amalgamated widget company while underpaying poor minority women to stay at home and shape the souls of a new generation after the poor minority women had dropped their own children off at unclean, overcrowded daycare centers. Conversely, before feminism, men got all the breaks and were allowed to do cool stuff like work for a living and try not to sleep around even though they really wanted to. Today though, because of feminism, women have many rights they never had before. They have the right to miss the experience of raising their children by working eight hours a day for a man who doesn't care about them before going home to ruin their children's lives by spoiling them because they feel so guilty about not having been there all day. They have the right to enjoy meaningless sex, just like men do, and then get incredibly depressed and feel as if they'd been used and treated like a piece of meat because they were used and treated like a piece of meat by men who enjoy meaningless sex much more than women do. They have the right to daydream that a man will come and rescue them and take care of them and then feel guilty about it because feminism told them they're not supposed to daydream that, but they do anyway. And they have the right to blame their problems on men until no man on earth would want to talk to them and they're forced to spend the best years alone pretending that's okay when it's really not, but they're not allowed to say so. Before feminism arose in the 1970s, according to a recent not made up study, women judged themselves to be happier than men. Since the advent of feminism, women's happiness and satisfaction have declined. Until now, men report themselves to be happier. When asked why they were less happy after feminism than before, women said, shut up, I don't want to talk about it, just leave me alone. Then they ran away, sobbing uncontrollably. F is for feminism. I'm Andrew Claven with the Lefties Dictionary. That is brutal. That guy should be. That guy should be banned, like Alex Jones. Oh wait, it's me. Uh, all right. F is for feminism. You can see that online. Pass it around. Uh, Ezra Levant is a human rights activist, author, and TV host. He's the founder of the Rebel Media, a Canadian right-wing news outlet, and is also the author of two best-selling books, Ethical Oil uh, and. Um, and oil 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 sands and shakedown. In twenty fourteen, Ezra was voted as the biggest name in Canadian broadcasting. He was also voted the talking head you'd most like to silence in a survey of Canada's Parliament Hill staff. So he must be doing something right. I'm on his show all the time. This time I thought I'd have him on and talk about Tommy Robinson. Here is Ezra, Ezra Levant. Ezra Levant, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So you, you've just gotten back from England uh, on this Tommy Robinson case. Before we get start talking about it, explain exactly what this case is about. Sure. Tommy Robinson is a colorful character. He is a citizen journalist who
2: came up from the sort of football, soccer, hooligan world. So he's, he's you know, the fancy classes in the U.K. would look down on him as some ruffian. But he's actually the only journalist in the entire UK with the courage to talk about the tough issues. And in that country, open borders, mass Muslim migration, and a particular phenomenon called Muslim rape gangs exists. And everyone's afraid to talk about it because it's so politically correct. But just here's a quick anecdote. There's a city of 250,000 people called Rotherham. So it's not a big city. But over the course of a few years, 1,400 white indigenous British girls were systematically extorted and raped by a Pakistani Muslim rape gang. 1,400 girls in a city of 250,000 people. This was known very soon, doctors, social workers, police detected this quickly, but there was a conspiracy of silence by what Daniel Pipes calls the 5P professionals, the police, the prosecutors, the politicians, the press, the professors, because everyone was so afraid of being called racist. Mm -hmm. So here's an example. One mom dragged her underage daughter out of one of these rape rooms to the police and said, help my daughter. And a policeman said, you be quiet now or we will charge you with parental neglect. And and this was covered up for years. It was finally a, a formal inquiry. And the number one excuse given was, afraid of being called racist. Tommy Robinson reports on this unreportable subject, and on May 25th, he was outside a courthouse in Leeds where a 29-person rape gang was on, in, on trial for raping girls as young as 11 years old, and he was out there live-streaming on Facebook, and then seven police swooped down on him, bundled him in the back of a police truck. He was hauled before the judge who had a summary trial, and, it w- and sentenced him in con- to 13 months in prison mm-hmm. for live streaming. So it, he went from arrest to
0: prison in five hours. Didn't, didn't they have some kind of, uh, that he was out on, on bail? Hadn't he violated some parole thing? Or is that wrong? He, he had uh,
2: done a similar thing in Canterbury, where there was a rape gang on trial there. And he filmed himself on the court precincts a little selfie video for 45 seconds, I should tell you, Tommy Robinson used to work with us at the Rebel a year ago, so I know this because I was involved in the Canterbury case. He pointed his cell phone at his face like this, and he talked into it for 45 seconds. But because he was standing on the court precincts, that's illegal. Uh-huh. So he just did a little video commentary, 45 seconds. He was given a three-month suspended sentence. Okay. So that sentence kicked into um, effect. And they added another 10 months to it, Got it. because okay. he was standing outside the Leeds uh, court. And and he didn't say anything
0: about the trial inside other than the names of the accused. So now he, he's, he went to prison for 13 months. He's, he's out, though. Am I right? Yeah. Now, he, uh, we mustered a crowdfund campaign to
2: hire some excellent lawyers to appeal his conviction and his sentence. And the Lord Chief Justice of the entire England and Wales uh, presided over the case with the Court of Appeal. And he won. So after two months, and he served it in solitary confinement. Can wow. you believe that? Wow. Because, t- uh, as you can imagine, uh, Muslim prison gangs, I mean, in the United States, you have different ethnic gangs in prison. You have Hispanic gangs, black gangs, white gangs, I guess. In the UK, the dominant prison gangs are Muslim. And in fact, when you're in prison, you often convert to Islam to be protected by the Muslim gang. So Tommy Robinson had a fatwa on his head. Mm. Any Muslim prisoner who would murder him would become a hero. So he had to be put in solitary or they'd, he'd be killed immediately. Wow. Well, you can't live for 13 months in solitary. They had him in prison for two, two months and the, the Muslim prison gangs worked the kitchen. So he couldn't eat anything that wasn't sealed or wrapped, because they would say, Oy, Tommy, how's your food, eh? Because they were trying to poison him. So he lost 40 pounds in prison. He asked for permission to get more food. The, the prison warden said no. He lost 40 pounds. We finally sprung him out of prison last week. He's a, he, he looks like a concentration camp survivor. He's, he was not fat to begin with. He was like 170 pounds. He's a grown man. He's 135 pounds now. And here's the crazy thing. They're sending him back to court next month to have a rehearing. They want to throw him back in prison again. For the same thing? For the same thing. Because the Court of Appeal threw out the conviction and the sentence saying it was procedurally flawed in about six different ways. But instead of throwing it out, they said, so have a retrial of the same offense and do it right and put him away right. The Court of Appeal was an incredible vindication that his first conviction was flawed, onerous, he was sentenced to uh, under the wrong provisions, he was not given a right to a fair hearing, he didn't have proper counsel, uh, th- there were so many things flawed with it. He was obviously treated improperly in prison, but instead of letting the man go after a two-month prison term, the Court of Appeal said, oh, just do it over again, and just get it right this time. So he's in jeopardy of more prison. I should tell you, the, the, he is the first journalist in the UK to be imprisoned for contempt of court since 1949. So it's just not done in the UK. So now why are you, you're Canadian, why are you going over there? Well, I, as I mentioned, Tommy used to work for us here at The Rebel, he was our UK journalist. And I mean, I became friends with him and we, we uh, fought on his side to get him out of trouble in the Canterbury rape gang trial. So he's independent now, but when I saw him get locked up in the back of that police truck, his last words were, get me a lawyer. And I thought, well, I can do that because I I know all these lawyers in the UK from when Tommy worked with us. So, I mean, I, I met his wife and his kids and the idea of Tommy Robinson going to prison for 13 months because he was reporting out. And all he did was say the names of the accused and he read them off the government broadcaster website, the BBC at this moment, Andrew, you can go right on the BBC website and Google the Huddersfield Rape Gang. They call it a grooming gang. The Huddersfield Grooming Gang, you could read the 29 names off the BBC website right now. All Tommy Robinson did was read the government website into Facebook, and he was arrested. For contempt of court, because they said that was uh, disrupting and endangering the integrity of the trial, simply to read those names on, on the live stream.
0: Now, now, let me ask you this. I, I mean, I'll, I'll have if, if you uh, if you can give me a hand with this, I'll have Tommy on the show and I'll, I'll let him make his case uh, and interview him directly if he wants to come on. But but meanwhile. Meanwhile, I have heard all kinds of things about about Tommy Robinson personally, uh, that he has been arrested for uh, violence, for, you know, uh, domestic abuse. I I know he was uh, part of the British National Party, which is an actual fascist party. I'm not sure how long he was with them. Are are we, even though he's right about the rape gangs, is it possible that he is on the wrong side in a lot of other ways? You know, I heard so many... uh bad things about tommy robinson because i
2: relied on the internet the mainstream media (laughs) so when i first i remember my first interview with him by a skype i was sort of nervous i said tommy they say all these things about you how do you feel about the jews how do you feel about this and that and i realized that a lot of it was misinformation when i first met him in in the uk i met him with his best friend since childhood who happens to be black his key allies are sikh because muslim rape gangs they, they attack British girls and Sikh girls, mm. uh, oddly enough. Um, it's true that he was the founder of something called the English Defense League. But when it became in, too intolerant and racist, he abandoned it. He, he actually shut down the organization that he created. It's not true that he was uh, arrested for uh, domestic violence. Um, that, that's simply not true. I mean, he, he got into a shouting match. And then he got into a a, a scuffle with a police off an off-duty police officer. Like I said when we in my first m- mention of him, he comes from that football hooligan world. Tommy is no saint, but although he has his vices, he has one enormous virtue: he's willing to speak truth uh, it, where the rest of the media and the five P professionals in the UK are silent. Tommy Robinson is is not the gentlest of souls, uh, but he has one characteristic of stubbornness that is so necessary to smash the information cartel there. Let me give you a little anecdote. You know, Pierce Morgan, you know who I'm yeah, talking sure. about. Uh, he, he hosts a show called Good Morning Britain, just like Good Morning America. Uh, when Tommy, Robin, he, he invited Tommy Robinson on to debate Islamic rape gangs and, and, and the Quran. That was the highest rated show in Good Morning Britain's history, now why is that? Because Tommy was very articulate, and he talked about he's he's published an annotated Koran. It went to number one on the British bestseller hmm. list, and so he's not just a uh, a yob. He's very articulate. He has another best-selling book called Enemy of the State that talks about how the police decided that Tommy Robinson was an easier problem to solve than the Islamification of the UK. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying he's the gentlest man you'll ever meet, but sometimes our free speech champions, we have to take them as we find them. He's not perfect, but they're going, just like they're going after Alex Jones in the United States, and he's difficult sometimes for people to abide. Well, that's the point. They go after the low hanging fruit, and then it's Alex Jones today, it's Breitbart tomorrow, it's Ben Shapiro the day after that. Sure. It's Tommy Robinson today, and then maybe it's um, you know a, a more mainstream newspaper the day after that. I don't feel comfortable with the United Kingdom, the mother of so much liberty, putting a journalist in prison because he was saying the names of 29 accused rapists. Well, well let's let's he talk
0: was- about but let's talk about the the bigger issue for a minute here. Uh, obviously this wave of immigrants that has come on has has created a tremendous problem. Obviously too there is something truly truly wrong with a society that lets its children be raped because they don't want to be accused of racism. Something has gone desperately wrong with that kind of society, no question about it. And I know that Canada has problems with free speech too now where they don't want Uh, People, they they actually have committees that can stop you and and penalize you for saying things that are outside of the leftist uh, realm of approval. Let me ask you this. Is there there a way forward with this incredible uh, Muslim influx? Is there a way that these people can be taken in and assimilated and adapted? Or do you feel that it is just impossible? Do you feel that Islam and the West can't live together?
2: Well, the problem is most politicians, when you ask them that question will focus on the easy answer, which is security. They'll say, oh, we do a background check. We, we check for terrorism and things like that. That's not a sufficient answer because I think that while when, when there is Muslim mass Muslim immigration, terrorism does follow, that's not the real threat to our society. The odds of being the victim of an actual terrorist attack are extremely low. Course, yeah. But the odds of a cultural uh, move towards Sharia law, uh, it, the the ending the separation of mosque and state, bringing in gender apartheid in Canada. It's ubiquitous public swimming pools that have gender separation now, so Muslim women can swim without those haram white men there. So mm. it's that the threat of that cannot be detected with some background check. Uh, you can't type someone's name into a computer and then say, oh, this person will undermine the separation of mosque and state, the equality of men and women, this person doesn't like Jews or Hindus or Christians for that matter. Those things you have to test with a values test. And that's when you get into that queasy, oh, I don't want to be racist moment that we saw in Rotherham. Here's the thing about Islam. There are wonderful people from that world who love our Western values. Salman Rushdie is the most obvious example. But what we are not doing is we're not separating the wolves From the lambs Mm. when we when europe takes two million muslim migrants and does not sort them in fact let them lets them sort themselves basically the strongest and the fastest young men who can get over to to germany and france we're not sorting the wolves from the lambs in fact we're taking a disproportionate number of wolves i believe in taking people from muslim countries who are enlightened and liberal and progressive in their islam and there are wonderful examples of that, Ian her CLE being a famous example. But we are not even vetting people whether or not they're a cultural fit. And the thing is, if you have a small, small Muslim migrant population, that's not a big issue. But in many towns in the UK, like Luton, where Tommy Robinson was from, Malmo uh, in Sweden, Rotterdam in Holland, where you have 30, 40, 50 percent of the people being Muslim, it no longer has the characteristics of Holland or UK or Sweden. It becomes a, a ghetto where niqabs and hijabs are the norm, where Sharia courts uh, de facto meet out the law, where alcohol and uh, is banned, gays are beat up, um, and terrorism festers like Molenbeek, Belgium. So it, it, it's actually about numbers. And we're not vetting, we're not sorting. It would be as if in 1940, the West were taking Germans. Okay, I like Germans, too, but let's sort <laughs> the, the, the true refugees from the perpetrators there.
0: Let, let, me, let me ask you this last question because I'm out of time, but you, the people you mentioned as, as people who are enlightened in Western, Salman Rushdie, and Hirsi Ali, they're not Muslims. They've abandoned the faith, essentially. What do you propose that Europe, and I assume Canada, what do you propose they do about the Muslim population that's already there?
2: Well, I think the first rule of holes is when you're in one, stop digging. I think you just can't have mass. Un- I think we have to vet for cultural fit. It's not just language. I mean, you need to know the language. Many don't. You need some job skills. Many don't. But you need cultural skills. How do you feel about women being uncovered? How do you feel about women? Te- we, we have mass Syrian migrants that Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, brought over. They don't do well when a female teacher in high school says, sit down. They, they slap back physically. That is a cultural fit question, and, and we just don't have an obligation to bring over people who will change our, our core cultural values. I think it's so tough. In Rotherham, this was such a tricky question, they literally allowed an entire generation of girls to be raped, and not just once, but repeatedly and endlessly for years Rather than being
0: called racist yeah. they prefer rapist to racist, that will kill us all that, that is that is an atrocity. Ezra Levant, rebel media, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, t- we'll talk again and uh, if Tommy wants to come on I will I would love to talk to him directly. I'll let him know. Thank you Andrew thanks a lot Ezra. All right, let's leap right into stuff I like. Stop. <laughs> That's a little barbershop uh, quartet there. Uh, Jason Kaspar sent that one in. We're still we're still vetting him, so keep sending him. <laughs> we'll, we'll play him. Uh, all right. Now, you know, on stuff I like, I have been very, very careful not to allow any kind, form of nepotism or friendship to affect my choices of the things I recommend because I don't want this to become a forum where I'm constantly being called up and people are saying, oh, can you put my stuff on stuff I like? So I, I haven't done that. I'm making an exception in this case because of my own feelings about this. Um, And I want to talk about the book of Isaiah, or as the British say, Isaiah, because the British are just so annoying. Uh, You know, the the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is the book that Jesus quoted more than any other. And the reason when you read it it seems obvious, it's because Isaiah's theme is that you, you should not... Uh, depend on the physical world you should depend on God so that if you are in a political jam and you go to the wrong uh, an ally to make you stronger but you're not depending on God that ally will not help you in the end uh if you are uh, doing sacrifices bringing Uh, sacrifices to God. He doesn't care if you're not just, if you're not righteous. He wants you to depend on him and follow the meaning of things, not just the physical world. And obviously that was uh, very much Jesus's theme. You know, one of the reasons Isaiah can be very difficult to understand is because he uses, he's talking about a political situations that obviously don't exist anymore. It's thousands of years ago. And sometimes it's hard to understand why He's referring to, say, say Egypt or, uh, you know, Assyria or whatever country he is referring to. It's as if I said, you know, Russia is meddling with our elections and they found that 4,000 years from now and Russia had no meaning anymore. They didn't know what Russia was or what it meant to me. So it can be very difficult. And so it needs to be a very clear translation. Let me just read a little bit of a, a new translation uh, of, of the first book of Isaiah, uh, I'm edited a little bit for, sp- for space, but it's, it's God telling people through Isaiah that he doesn't care if you celebrate him. He doesn't care if you bring him sacrifices. He wants you to be what he, you are supposed to be. And he says here, Isaiah says, hear God's proclamation, you elites of Sodom. So he is calling the, the people in Israel the elites of Sodom. Lend your ears to our God's teaching, people of Gomorrah. What good? Are all your sacrifices to me, says God, I'm stuffed full offerings of goats, milk from fat cows, bull's blood, sheep and rams. I take no pleasure in them. When you come to show yourselves before me, who asked for that from you to trample my courtyards? No more. Stop bringing worthless gifts, sweet-smelling incense. It's vile to me. When you stretch out your palms, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you multiply your prayers, you'll get no audience from me. Your hands are full of blood. Wash. Get pure. Get the evil of the things you do out of my sight. Let go of evil. Learn how to make good. Hunt after justice. Give relief to victims and justice to orphans. Plead the widow's case. Come here, says God. Let's talk this out together. If your sins are like scarlet, they'll turn white like snow. This is a brand new translation by my son, Spencer, who is a brilliant scholar at uh, Oxford. And he is crowd editing this. He is putting it up chapter by chapter on his website and wants you you to read it and send him your opinions of how the translation reads, how it feels to you. And I think it is a really worthwhile project because we need, he calls it the Isaiah Project. And we need a new translation of this book because it can become very obscure over time, even though there, uh, obviously the King James is a beautiful translation. It gets hard to read over time. So he's going to publish this one chapter at a time, and he would love to have you come and read it and comment on it. You, to find it, go to his website. It's called rejoice Evermore. Dot com, rejoice-evermore.com. And you can find the Isaiah Project, read his new translation chapter by chapter as it comes out, I think one chapter a week and comment on it. Uh, it would be a big help to him. And I think it's really, I think the translation is absolutely beautiful. And I think, you know, your comments will obviously improve it. I'm sorry. That's all I can do. The Clavenless weekend is here. I've staved it off as long as I possibly could. You're stuck. You're screwed. Uh, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Survivors gather here on Monday. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.